Okay, um, I think the best way for me to begin this sermon is like this, is to underline how peculiar this moment might be. To underline how strange this is. Maybe you see what I'm getting at. Normally, what is it that happens here on a Sunday night? Normally, what happens? So normally, it's either myself or Reverend Perkins or someone else will stand here like this. We will speak from Scripture. We will unpack Scripture. And who do we speak to normally in the main? Normally, we speak largely to the Christians, not exclusively, of course, but normally we stand and we speak and we preach to believers. We speak to the church. Well, listen, in a sense, that is not what is happening uh, here uh, tonight, because I very much feel as though the task this evening is very different than it is to follow after the Lord and to leave the 99 and to pursue the one. Do you see it? To leave the 99 and to pursue the one. That The task tonight is not so much to speak, certainly primarily to the Christians in the room, not to speak primarily to the believers, to the church, but to speak to the people in here who do not know Christ as Savior. To speak to you, the perhaps many people in here who are not in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for you, let me do what I've done before and try and adjust Martin Luther King. To say not, I have a dream this evening, but to say what I've said before and to say that I really genuinely have a prayer and a hope, and it's this, if you're not a Christian, that despite the reservations you might have about all of this in here, despite the reservations you might have personally against me, despite the reservations you have about this church. My hope is this, that over the course of this sermon this evening, you come to see that through Lord Jesus Christ, there is fulfillment and joy that is available to you. Now, do, do you see the hope? Do you hear the prayer that tonight you come to see that through Jesus, there is eternal cleansing available for you tonight, eternal cleansing available from God. And to think about that, we're going to look at Kings chapter 5. So have you got it there in your lap, in your hands? Have you got Second Kings chapter 5 open? The boys and girls got access to it as well? If so, we're going to think firstly about cause for concern. Cause for concern. Do you have people in your life who seem to have it all? Do you have people in your life that seem to have everything? Do you know the sort of people that I mean? The people who are not just good looking, uh, but are also smart as well. You know those sort of people? The people who are not just really great in the workplace, but are also incredibly funny. Do you know those sort of people? They make us sick don't they? Those sort of of people. Well, as we open the Bible at 2 Kings chapter 5, do you know what? And I just our first reading, it could seem as though Naaman, the city, and this man that you're introduced to, Naaman, it could seem to you that he's one of these guys that has it all. Because have a look at the text and look at verse 1. See how he's described to you. Like, first of all, we are told that Naaman is a, a man of status. 
Isn't he? Look how he's introduced to you. He is the commander of the army of the king. So that is a role in the ancient world, in the ancient world that is a kind of akin to a prime minister. You know, commander in chief. Do you, do you see already? This is the big cheese. You know, he's, he's a man of status, is Nate. Now carry on though, cause he's also successful. You notice? Now we're told if you read on, that Naaman is held in high favor. So he's a guy who's respected by the king. But what's the reason? Because he has won victories for Syria. Battles. Do you know it's battles that are, are, are specifically said to be orchestrated and overseen by God. So do you see how a, a picture is building up of this guy? Like he's a, he's a man of status. He's a successful guy as well. And then don't we also have to mention his personal standing? Because don't you love that expression, that description of him in verse 1? No one has ever said this about me. You see, Naaman is a mighty man of valor. Not even my wife has ever said this. A mighty man of valor. But do you see how that adds to the picture or not? Do you see it? Like not only is he powerful, not only is he wealthy status, he's also a man of character. He's also brave. He's bold. He's courageous. Now, let me turn it to you. If we were to leave it there, what would we think? We would think, wouldn't we? This guy's the business. This guy, Naaman, has it all. And then, do you know what happens at that point? Listen. This tiny little phrase jumps out of the text and grabs you by the scruff of the neck. Because look how verse 1 ends. We're all thinking, he's great, he's a business, he's got everything. Look at the end of it. But what's this? He's successful, he's got all his money. But he was, what is it? Do you see? But he was a leper. And do you see how that changes everything? Please tell me you do. Like now we recognize that this man is suffering from a terrible, 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 terrible disease. Okay, not maybe leprosy as we think about it. Not necessarily Hansen's disease. But this is still, do you understand? Like a terrible skin disease. Something most likely is eating away at this guy. Like destroying him. And you know how, you know what it's like in the ancient world. Like this disease was marginalizing him, wasn't it? It was ostracizing this guy. It's a disease that kind of rendered him in the eyes of the people of Israel, rendered him clean. Do you see how the, do you see how it's all changed suddenly? Like despite all of the success, this is a guy so miserable with this horrible blight in his life. Despite all the success, he's so discontent. What's going to happen in this chapter? He's going to travel far and wide, north and south, just trying desperately to find a cure to be healed. Now, let me make good on my promise to you. And let me speak to the people in here who are not born again in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. Does this not here, does this here, does it not, in a sense, parallel and mirror your existence just now? Now, analyze your life and think about your life. Is there not a case that despite the successes that you have and the standing that you have, the state is maybe amongst your friends and your family, is it not a case that there's a blight in your life? There is a sense of ill at ease, unease, a lack of peace. Is there not a blight on your life that is, it seems to be giving you no rest at all? It's always there. 
Well, do you see what God is doing in Second Kings chapter 5? He is showing you what that is. Because even if you're not a Christian, you surely you know this. That the Bible is full of stories of lepers being healed. Isn't it? The boys and the girls know this. Isn't it? So we've got it here in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, what do we find? We find lepers being healed. Now, have we ever stopped to think, why is that? Why all these stories about lepers being healed? Do you see it? It's because these horrible diseases, they parallel very well. They mirror our spiritual illness. These diseases, leprosy, skin diseases, they mirror well our sin. And if tonight you see that, Maybe you see the root of your problem if you're not a Christian. Why can you not find peace? Why are you ill ease despite material success? Why? Don't you see it? We are all sick. Isn't that it? We have a spiritual illness. And what is it doing right now? It is eating away at us. Isn't that what sin does? And it destroys us from within. And it marginalizes us. And it ostracizes us. It pushes us out from center, doesn't it? And what does it do? It makes us, renders us unclean in the eyes of God. I pray and I wonder if you tonight see it. I wonder now if you look at Second Kings and you see yourself in Naaman. Because if you do, it could well be that first step this evening to the cleansing of Almighty God. So we see cause for concern. Second, we see quest for cure. Quest for cure. Do you know this story quite well? Do you? Do you know the story of Naaman the Syrian quite well? If you do, or, or even if you paid very close attention to the reading, then maybe you saw the very stark contrast that we've got in this chapter. Because who have I just been talking about? I've been talking about Naaman the Syrian, and, and if you're picturing this guy, he's a big brute of a guy, isn't he? Like he's this commander, he is a strong man, a vicious type of character. And then look at verse 2 and see the contrast. And then you see who's introduced to you in verse 2? We've gone from this brute of a guy, and now it's a wee lassie. Isn't it? Like we've got this brute, horrible warrior, and now we've got this young girl. Do you notice the detail? She's been captured. She's an Israelite. She's been captured, and she's in the service of Naaman's wife. Now, if we had longer tonight... What I would love to do is talk about how that little girl represents your task if you're a Christian. Because what are we to do? What is the church's role? What do we do? We do as she does. In our exile, what do we do? Our job is to point those who are afflicted. And we are to point them to where there is healing available, just as she does here. If we had longer, we could do that, but we don't. So what I want to do instead is to point you to something that is ever so important in chapter 5. And that is, I wonder if you noticed it, that is the mistake or the error that Naaman makes here. There's a mistake he makes, there's an error he makes. So to see it, look first of all at verse 3. So let's look at verse 3 together. Boys and girls, you look at verse 3. Here's my question. 
See if the boys and girls can get the answer to the question. Where does this little girl tell Naaman to go for healing? To whom? Do you see it? Who is it? Come on, one of you. Yeah, they're all mouthing it. That's great. So we'll, we'll believe you that you, you got the answer. So the little girl tells Naaman to go to the prophet for healing. Now, ready for the mistake that he makes? Look at verse 5, the end of verse 5. Through influences, where, is he, where does he go? Do you see it? So eventually he goes to the king. Now, is everyone following me on this? This little girl says, go to the prophet for healing. Where does he go? He goes to the king, right? Listen, listen. She says, go to the man of God. Where does he go? The man of state. She says, you want healing? You go to the man who represents the power of almighty God. Where does he go? Where does he, he goes to the man who represents the power of the world. And, and honestly, again, I'm telling you, if the theme of the service was different, I would love to, to, to empathize with you. How often does that happen to us? Like we tell somebody to go, the man of God, go to Christ for healing. And where do they go? They go, they scuttle off somewhere else. But you know, that's not the theme in the service tonight. You know what I've got to do and speak to the unconverted people in this room just now. And, and, and listen to me. Here's my question for you. Where are you looking for healing in your life? Where are you looking for healing? Where are you looking for wholeness and well-being in your life? Like, can I ask you, are you doing, making the same mistake, you doing what Naaman does, first of all, here? Like, are you going for healing, for meaning, for cleansing? Are you going to the world for that stuff? Like, is it that you're going to the material things? Like, are you buying into the narrative, especially this time of year, that says if you only have that next thing, if you only buy that next thing, oh, you will be well, everything will be great for you, the house, the car, whatever it is. Or is it a bit different for you? You buying into this narrative about sexual identity that's been targeted at us? You buying into that, that if you are only allowed to live that way, if I have only the freedom to live like that, in the way that I want to live, if that happens, then I will be well. You buying into that? If so, tonight you have to listen to the words of verse 7. Look what happens. Naaman is crying in despair. He goes to the world for help. And what does the king say? He basically says, I cannot help you. He says, am I God to kill and make alive? Did you see it? The world has to cry out of its utter inability. The world cannot cure you. It cannot heal you. It cannot cleanse you. So please listen to me. It is only if you go to Jesus. It is only if you do what Naaman eventually does and goes to the man of God. It is only if you go to Jesus, my friend, that you will be made well. We see a quest for cure. Thirdly, we see contempt for means. Contempt for means. If I was put you on the spot and to ask you, whether you know where we are in the story, would you be able to say yes to that? Do you know where we are in the story? I wonder. 
So we've seen Naaman in despair of his illness, and he's gone to this king for help, and the king is useless. And the king just throws his hands up and basically tears his clothes and says, I cannot help you. And we come now to what, honestly, my favorite scene here, and it's not a scene that has really captured a, a theologian or a pastor or a minister's imagination. This is a scene that has really captured artists' imagination. So many paintings of this scene. And it's the moment where Naaman arrives at Elisha's house. But he does so, I love it, because he does so with his full entourage. And you can imagine that, can you? This commander with this full entourage arriving at this impoverished, probably, prophet's door. It's amazing. Now, here is a thought. Although Naaman arrives at Elisha's house with great anticipation of cleansing, would you agree with me that his cleansing is far from straightforward? Would you agree that that to start with anyway, that Naaman and Elisha do not hit it off? It's a bit of a bumpy start, isn't it? Naaman and Elisha. And so we're looking at Second Kings and, and we're wondering, well, why is it like that? I mean, did you notice, did you notice that he's really, really, really angry at one stage, Naaman? I mean, he's raging. And so we're asking, like, why is, what's going on? Why is he so angry? Well, this is how we're going to deal with it. I am going to point you to two little details in the text. Two little details that I think show us the real heart issue for Naaman. So I'm going to show you two details that really expose what is going on in the Syrian commander's heart. So will you look at the two details? You will. I I trust you will. Look at verse 10. Now here's the detail to notice in verse 10. Notice that Elisha does not even come out to see Naaman. Don't you think that's fascinating? I don't know what your lives are like, but I'm guessing if yesterday afternoon, if you were at home, and a commander of an army with hundreds of horses and hundreds of chariots arrived at your front door, I'm guessing you would go out to see what was going on. Right? So if somebody, if that happens at the manse this week, at any stage of the week, I know if there's hundreds of horses and we hear all of this and chariots, yes, my children are going to go out to see what's going on, but I am also going to follow them and see what, and isn't it stunning that Elisha does not go out to see Naaman, but here's the point. Notice how Naaman responds to it. Like you see, he is apoplectic with rage. In fact, this is great. I love this. This is really interesting. That when Naaman says here, Elisha should have come out to me, in the original text, in the original language, the last two words there are emphasized. They're emphatic. So do you see what Naaman actually says? Naaman says, Elisha, he should have come out to me. He should have come out to me. And now maybe we're beginning to work out, ah, we see what the heart problem is here, do we? We see the issue here. But if you still don't, here's the second detail. Make sure you get it. Look back at verse 10, second detail. What does this messenger say? Naaman is told to wash in a river. Which river is it? 
You notice it, don't you? It's the Jordan River. And you can almost, if you're quiet tonight, you can almost hear Naaman's fury. You what? You won't, you won't be able to wash in the Jordan, but I am a Syrian, and we are the greatest nation on earth. I am not washing in your piddly little river, your dirty little river. I am a Syrian. I am not doing that. And now tonight, we get it. Don't we, every single one of us in here, we understand the heart issue with him. Don't we see that? Don't we recognize it? Why is there such contempt? What would you say the problem is here for Naaman? The problem is pride isn't it? I mean, you can see, can't you, that he wants recognition from Elisha, doesn't he? He wants attention. I mean, he actually, I think, he wants to do something in order to earn this cleansing. He's a warrior. He wants to go and achieve something, win a battle to earn the cleansing. He hates this. He hates the simplicity of this means from God. He hates hates the humiliation of all of this. And again, if tonight the sermon theme was different, all of us as Christians, we could, we could talk together and empathize together about how familiar that seems to us, doesn't it? Contempt for God's cleansing. But again, you know what I must do, and I must speak to you if you're not a Christian tonight. And I ask you this. Is that there, Second Kings 5, Naaman's heart? Is that where you are this evening? Is there tonight in your heart just sheer, unadulterated contempt for the message of the gospel? I mean, contempt for what is preached here. Contempt for these people around you. Contempt for the cross of Christ. Now, I ask you to open that out. I ask you this. Do you just laugh at the idea of the gospel? I mean, do you just laugh at this idea that you're hearing that we can be, you can be cleansed forevermore of your sin by the blood of Jesus? Do you just laugh at that? Laugh at that? Or is it even worse? Does it anger you? Does it? The anger you when you hear week in, week out, and from the Christians here, you hear that there is nothing you can do, nothing you can do to merit or to earn or achieve cleansing from God. Does that fill you with, with anger? Is there contempt for the gospel? If so, if that in any way resonates with you, please hear me. Do not let pride bar your entry into glory. Do not let your ego and your pride get in the way of your eternal salvation. Yes, absolutely. You are going to have to bow to the majesty, the sovereignty of Jesus. Yes, even tonight, you're going to have to recognize there is nothing worthy in you. You are a sinner. You will have to do that. But I'm saying, isn't it worth it? I mean, consider the gospel and what is what is before you. That you can be forever cleansed of your guilt. I mean, it could go. Your guilt, your shame, the shame can be washed away. Your sin eradicated, cleansed. Isn't it worth it? I mean, don't let pride, ego get in the way tonight in Christ Jesus. Wash and be clean. 
And then we're going to close with this. We've seen cause for concern. We've seen quest for cure. We've seen contempt for means. The last one. We see, listen to it, listen to it. We see cleansing for outsiders. A couple of weeks ago, I'm sitting in a coffee shop in London uh, with another bloke and we're having a coffee. And uh, this guy's only very loosely connected to this church here. And we are talking about the gospel. We're talking about Jesus. And I'll be frank with you because he's not here. So I can do that. Speak about people behind their backs. It was a demoralizing conversation because it became abundantly clear very, very quickly what the problem was with this guy. That he had such a limited idea and superficial idea about what the gospel was or what offered. So I was asking him what he thought about Christianity and what, 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 what happens when, when you become a Christian. And he basically said, you try to stop doing bad things and you start doing you're trying to do good things. That's, that's it. Christianity in a nutshell. You stop drinking too much and you start going to church. That's all that Christianity was about. You try to do some charitable things, help somebody across the street or something. That's Christianity in a nutshell. Now, when you bear that in mind, isn't this true? That what is so beautiful about this chapter of scripture is the complete and utter transformation that takes place in Naaman's life. Because I'm asking you, let me turn it to you. What do you think happened when Naaman went into the Jordan? What do you think the story's about? Come on, what do you think happened? Would you say to me, Andy, I think that his leprosy was washed away. Is that what you think happened? Is that the story? Is that it? That's not all that happened. Look at verse 14 again. Have a look. Look at that. His flesh becomes what? His flesh becomes like that of a little baby. His flesh becomes like that of a little babe. His flesh becomes like that of a a little child. Do you see the idea? There is an idea here of rebirth. There is an idea of being made new. There is renewal here. Do you see it? That sounds amazing. But then it gets better because look at verse 15. Notice the faith. Like before, a minute ago, there was absolutely no faith whatsoever. Now in verse 15, you have got one of the greatest professions of faith in the whole of the Old Testament. You see what he says? He says, I believe there's no other God but the God of Israel. He says, so you've got rebirth, you've got faith. Then verse 17, you've got repentance as well. He turns away from false worship. And all of this is stunning. What changed to this man? But do you know what I love the best of all? It is the new heart that the grace of God gifts this man. Because what did I say a minute ago about Naaman? What was he like? What was his problem? What was it? Pride. Pride. He was an arrogant fool. He was a bumptious man. Now listen, I wonder if you got the detail here. He's a horrible, arrogant man. He is cleansed by God. And in the three subsequent verses, Naaman five times refers to himself as a servant. He's a horrible man, a beast of a man. He's this arrogant, proud Syrian warrior. And the finger of God touches him. 
And five times he calls Elisha. His master is a servant to Elisha. Do you see it? He becomes this humble man, a gentleman, a meek man. And you're with me now, aren't you? That's beautiful. The grace of God. That's lovely. And then wait for it. Consider, lastly, who he is. So I want the boys and girls to fill in the blank. He's Naaman the what? Naaman the Syrian. Friends, do you see why that's amazing? Are you? He's a Syrian. Isn't that amazing? That this cleansing from God, this healing, hasn't come to an Israelite. Hasn't come to a child of Israel. This healing from God has come to what? Come to a Syrian. It's come to an outsider. Do you know what's amazing about it though? He's the commander of the army of the city. He is the very enemy of God. He's not a child of Israel. He's an outsider. And so I end with this tonight. I do. A last question to you if you're not a Christian in here. Is that how you feel tonight? I mean, in here just now, as you come in, maybe for the first time, or you come in week by week, do you feel an outsider in spiritual things? Do you feel an outsider in this church? Do you think even just now that, hang on, if these people knew what I was like, if they knew what my attitude was to gender or sexuality or alcohol or immorality, if they knew, they would never, ever, ever think that the blood of Jesus could save me. Do you think like that? Surely you hear God's message to you in Naaman the Syrian. The gospel's for outsiders. The gospel's for outsiders. The gospel's for you. That through the offense of the cross, through the spilt blood at Calvary, listen to the promise of God, there can be change for you. You, like this man, can be eternally transformed. And so, what on earth are you waiting for? Really? I mean, to think what is offered on offer from God. Surely tonight, you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. You come to the Son of Man, the one who has laid down his life for his people. And you, this evening, like Naaman, the Syrian, Come, wash, be clean, be healed, and all by the grace of God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you, first of all, as the people of God, as Christians, we thank you so much that we see ourselves in Second Kings 5, that we are leprous spiritually, struggling with great disease, and yet you have brought us low and you have cleansed us and transformed and changed us. That again, as we pray this morning, we pray again, how we long to see people saved and healed. And so we do pray, Lord, that for those who are perhaps in this room tonight who are outside of your kingdom, we pray that you would look with your tender mercy, your gentle mercy, the riches of your mercy upon them this evening. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would so move 
to transform them in the way that you transform them in the city and, and to even tonight to give new hearts. And so we praise you for your grace and we lay that before you as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.